Judgment Day The sky was all purple There were people running everywhere Welcome to Inside Baseball with Old Chestnut. I'm Liam Allen with more sex. How you doing, buddy? Happy Fourth of July, my friend. Happy Fourth of July. Good to see you. Good to see Same you. Happy, happy Independence Day to our great nation. Um, have fun at work, England. Yeah, yeah. yeah. By the way, that um, uh, cover of Prince, 1999. Mm-hmm. I I was at that show, next to Big Ed. And let me tell you something. They fucked that thing up so bad. I I I I didn't it took me ten minutes to figure out what they were playing. Yeah, yep, yep. It's good though. That was night five of the 13 night run at the garden in 2017. And and you were with Big Ed that night on night five. Yeah. I don't remember which night that, that Ed was like, uh-huh. I can't go take the ticket. So I got to go to the, a couple nights. Um, he said, go over to the house. It's on the it's on the porch. Go pick up your ticket. Go to the garden. Enjoy the show. I was down in probably yeah. 119, maybe, or 109. Yeah, sure, because that's where we roll. Exactly, exactly. Right? No yeah. 200s for this group. So, yeah, thank you, Ed. Thank, thank you. Before we go too far... Um, 
you don't know about this, but um, we actually, you, were given an award from the American Podcast Association of America. I, people can't see this at home, but I'll post it to the website. Can you see this? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Crystal. 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 In honor of Lynn Allen, Allen, Podcast Producer of the Year for the year 2023. Incredible. Congratulations. What an honor. That is gorgeous. It's, it, for the listeners, it's a it's a Waterford Crystal diamond or 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 G uh like a beautiful crystal crystal yeah. crystal stone engraved with the award. So I'd like to thank the American Podcaster Association of America uh for bestowing this award on me. And yes, the, the my my uh, production skills have come a, a long way from holding the flip phone up to the to the microphone. Oh, it was such a disaster in the beginning, as our listeners know. <laughs> well, you know, we need to thank Mary in Human Resources and Mike in Compliance. Gang. And then, of course, the whole legal team yeah. for yeah. Uh, nominating yeah. you. But right. on right. behalf of uh, Old Chestnut, congratulations. Well-deserved. And, you know, the... The problem with success, Liam, is staying successful. I'm aware. So yep. You've got your work cut out for you. Thank you. Um, being the holiday weekend, I thought we might just have random thoughts and oh, uh, yeah. kind of keep it short because yeah. I know everyone's getting a little tired of talking about the yield curve and yeah. <laughs> and those sorts of things. But um, so, uh, me. The listeners were interested a week ago about my kind of travel through the Deutsche Bank part of my career. Absolutely. And and I thought I would tell you something you know a little bit about, but very few people do. Um, so if it's okay with you, I'll start with a little story. And if, if you get bored, just give me the, the cut no, sign. But... No, just, just time stamp it. Just time stamp it so I can frame it in my mind so that I can know I was in like third grade and you were yeah. – I want to I want to visualize the wardrobe and everything, okay? I think you might have even lost your virginity at the beginning of this story. Okay. <laughs> um, so um, three daughters, each went to kind of different schools because we operate – under the capitalist system of each according to his needs yes. and each according to his ability. So um, youngest daughter went to uh, a private school. And as private schools are wont to do, there is always after uh, money in your pocket. Of course. So we were at a cocktail party, Cheryl and I. And, uh, you know, I'm not a great cocktail party circuit guy and and i might even touch on that a little bit later when we go to the ad for our cocktail party bullshit t-shirts okay. um but i saw a guy who was kind of standing around he didn't seem to know anybody either and i said hi how you doing and i introduced myself and he introduced uh himself and he said you know uh my wife's name is cheryl too in fact she knows you're cheryl and thinks she's one of the smartest people she's ever met. And I'm like, oh, thank you. That's that's a very kind comment. And so uh, I proceeded to have a conversation with this guy for maybe two hours, nonstop. And um, now you know this guy. His name is, is Ted Shaker, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, 
it's kind of a funny thing. There's that, uh, was it Dale Carnegie book, How to Win, Fruin, Win Friends and Influence People? Yep, yep. Okay. So, so, so at the end of that conversation, I was thinking, what an interesting guy Sir Shaker was. And I realized all he did was get me to talk about myself for two hours. So, of course, you know, I think yeah, he's uh, hey. anyway, we, we hit it off. And so a number of times, the four of us, Ted and Cheryl and old Chestnut and Cheryl were gone to dinner. And one of these dinners was uh, in 08 during the financial crisis. And, you know, uh, Ted's background uh, is in media and television sports and um He's just got a great gift for having a conversation and learning about people. And so that night we were talking about the great financial crisis. And, you know, that's not his area of expertise, but he was able, uh, with me unwittingly, able to draw out how I saw things and, and this and that. And, and ever since then, he routinely refers to that conversation as a unique experience to really have something explained to him by somebody who really knew something. And, and so he said, you know, you've got a, a gift for telling a story. You have a lot of interesting experiences in your life. And, you know, that might be worth uh, writing down one day. And I said, you know, thank you. I'm obviously flattered, but you know, I can't write. I don't have any interest in writing. And so we kind of set it aside. And, you know, a number of months later, uh, Cheryl and I, my Cheryl, and I have been doing some uh, estate planning, you know, for not just our children, but future generations. Uh, just because to me, it was interesting. And it seemed like a very generous thing to do. And Ted's wife, Cheryl said, you know, I'll bet the people who benefit, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now would love to know a little bit about the people that created that, that fund, where the money came from, why they did it. Maybe you should write a book about it. And, mm -hmm. and I'm like, you know, thank you. You're, you're very gracious. It sounds really interesting, but I, you know, it's just not my thing. Like you and I can talk all day, right? The difference is you, you're an excellent writer, and I'm still waiting for that manuscript <laughs> that you owe me. Remember that? Remember that advance? Show business, pal. <laughs> it's not show friends. So, so anyway, um, I'm dead set against this thing, and, and I have a couple of lunches with Ted, and I said, uh, I'll tell you what. Cheryl and I had discussed it, my show and I discussed it, and thought, you know, it'd be kind of an interesting project. So the idea was going to be Ted would come to my house and interview me, come to my house, interview Cheryl, and then get it transcribed. Mm -hmm. And we would hire an author to write it. Mm -hmm. It sounds pretty straightforward. Of course, like everything it seems like I do in life, you know, doing the basic just isn't good enough. So we got to take it to 11, right? So 
So Ted uh, knows this guy named Mark Ryder, who does uh, is a ghostwriter. Mm-hmm. So there was a, a, a popular book a number of years ago about how uh, John F. Kennedy, the president, raped that intern. I think it was rape. I have okay. to check. Okay. Anyway, Mark Mark Ryder wrote that book. All right. Um, okay. And there's another, uh, any number of other books that he has ghostwritten. Okay. And so the idea would be, uh, Ted would interview me, and then we'd get them transcribed, and then uh, Ted would give the transcription to Mark Ryder. He would read them and then help us select an author. Mm-hmm. Because Mark Ryder was more of like a uh, author or like a publisher kind of thing, sure. And I kept asking him, "Why don't Why don't you just write it?" And I I think initially he just like thought it was a vanity project, which which it really was. But after reading five or ten of these interviews, he's like, "I'll write it." And not only did he take over the project he kicked ted off mm-hmm. he said I'll, I'll take it from here yeah, right yeah, yeah, yeah. and by the way the, the, there was real money involved in this i'm sure I, people got paid real money right sure so anyway uh ted got kicked out of the picture which i felt really uncomfortable with but i i don't, don't know how these things go and so uh, mark Ryder would come to my house regularly and we had dozens of interviews where we talked about um, my life and trading and how I saw trades and all sorts of things. And um, in the end, he, he wrote a, wrote a book. I mean, it's 300 and something pages. Yeah. And it's been read by two people, Mark Ryder yep. and old chestnut. Yep. The reason being is I didn't realize until it was too late, it was a book that was about me, not about me and Cheryl. Mm -hmm. And this was supposed to be the story of our life together. And I take full responsibility for, you know, being sidetracked. You know, I mean, I it was a vain thing. Like he's interested in me, and I'm talking about me, and and we we did talk about you know Cheryl and the, the insane contribution, how none of it would have happened, but there there it didn't have any of the text texture to it, right? Yeah. And so, uh, when this all came to light, when I kind of woke up from my uh, vanity, I realized what a blunder I had made. I I was physically ill, mm-hmm. and Cheryl was um, disappointed. Let's say, and so I I I apologized and I said, "No one will ever read this book. Yeah, this yeah. this book will will not see the light of day because it's not it's not our." story it's my story and that's not what we set out to do Mm -hmm. now we did try with mark Ryder to do a shortened version 
of the Morris and Cheryl story, but that kind of went sideways and, and never got published. So um, you uh, and I are really the only two people in the world who know where that manuscript lies, right? Mm -hmm. And I told you, so if I'm um, a member of Foul Play, you can turn it over to the executor of my estate and then they can figure out what to do with it, okay? But, you know, I fucked up. I'm paying my penance. Okay. But I was wondering conceptually, and, and don't answer it now because it wouldn't be for today, but how would you feel if you and I did a mini version of the process by which Cheryl and I met and together we formulated, because it was truly a we, formulated my way of approaching the markets and and uh, how we ended up where we did today. Because one of the things I keep coming back to wanting to talk about and always uh, because of the enthusiasm and the excitement of the marketplace gets deferred, um, just how much your the early part of your life shapes your trading approach. It, you don't realize it. It, it, it frames your, your mental network, right? And in my case, as a trader, and this is separate from Cheryl, and, you know, I had a, a very difficult childhood. I won't belabor it now, but, you know, like most people, I had to walk uphill three miles in the snow both ways to school every day. And yet we survived. But I, I do think there's elements of it that I could thread together, which people can draw on from their own life. And if they want to be traders, they'll see why I do certain things and why I don't do certain things. And if you think that might be of interest to people, we can talk during the week and I'll sketch out some idiosyncratic notes and we'll go through it. If you think it's just me babbling on, uh, you know, I, my feelings won't be hurt. I don't, I don't care about that. But, no, because you, you know, I love all those stories. Like, dude, we've been doing this for how many years? 10, 10 years now. I mean, at least 10 years. I think if we started, Exactly. I think, we, I think we started when we were prisoners of war. Dude, I was using Vietnam, I was using, right? I, I was using my hotmail. I didn't have an iPhone yet. Okay. So I was using hotmail. All right, bro. But like, yeah. So the author, the author doesn't know him. Like, you, you gotta you gotta get the you gotta get me because I know I know you and Cheryl, and I can and I can yes. understand. You know the deal, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can okay. see how the I can see how the writer would be like as a writer, as a as as I'm constructing my story. These are the elements that are going to sell books. He wants to sell books. He wants well, to. Well, see, that's it. That that's what I didn't really realize was it was turning into a, you know, yeah, how to get rich, but by, by this book copies. about this trader, right? Okay. Yep. So once again, oh, totally yes. my bad, um, but I think. With your guidance, 
dude, you've carried this burden for a long time. It's time to, we're, we're, we're time to unshackle this it, yoke off it, of your it, back and we'll, 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 we'll handle this. Okay. You've already done a good job doing the spoken orated version. Okay. Um, so you're good enough. I mean, we've got 110 hours. You, there might be a guy out there listening that that's, you know, sitting in his penthouse up on the you know 400th floor that says, this is a great story. How much money do you need to make this happen? So speaking of which, I know this wasn't where you wanted to go, but the current bid for the auction is up to $20,100. 20,100, 20, yeah. 20,000. 20, okay. And 20. it's from a bona fide bidder and we don't have the final details worked out. Yeah. But we've raised at least $20,000 and lunch will be you and me, my house, mm-hmm. Leslie, mm-hmm. perhaps some other people that we talk about, two bottles of uh, Harlan Estate and then uh, Shannon Day's barbecue beef. Yeah. I don't know how, anyway, uh, I mean, you yeah, know, right. yeah. people who want to pay a hundred grand to have lunch with Ray Dalio. Yes. Boy. <laughs> I, I think you'd have to pay me a hundred grand. <laughs> but so uh, since we're keeping it short today, um, there is a story that might be of mild interest that was um, triggered by um, one of these research pieces mm-hmm. I read. And um, I decided I'm no longer mentioning the names of the people whose research um that I get because we pay for it mm-hmm. and uh, yep. um, we pay for it. Yeah. And uh, we only do things for free. Right. So no, no free lunch. Um, so this one guy starts out and I, I'm going to try and read this to you. I don't read very well, but so here we go. Quote, I can't impart it to anybody who hasn't been there. Standing in the security line in the airport, if you want to know what it's like to be in the Soviet Union, you're in the Soviet Union. In that moment, you're in the Soviet Union. You're in a line waiting for something. And at the end of that line, a lot of bad things can happen to you. People don't think that way. But in reality, though, dot, dot, dot. Now, this triggered a memory. Because you know, I traveled to Russia, right? Oh, yeah. And, and one of my one of my favorite quips is, I made five million dollars trading Russia because we had a twenty five million dollar limit, and I only lost five, <laughs> so I came out twenty ahead. Yeah. But yeah. Um, to talk about this notion of being in Russia, so. Um, you know, we got the mandate to go, and I really wasn't excited about going because no uh, I'm not a great traveler, no as Big Ed, Big Ed can attest to. Uh, no but in any event, um, you know, it was like we had a correspondent office there, and so really all I had to do was turn up, and they had all these meetings lined up for us. So um, one of the guys working for me, was uh, my pal Robbie, younger than me. Uh, I inherited him when I took over the group and grad graduate of a great university, got a perfect on the, the 
the SAT math, a real, real gentleman. And we kind of, you know, I'm probably 10 years older than him, but he was like one of my guys, right? He was, a, he was, you know, that our quote team, or he was on the team. And, and so I had a limited number of people in my group and each one had a certain skill set. And when I got into, you know, sort of the more esoteric stuff, um, Robbie would be the guy that uh, I would like to work with because he just had that hunger for knowledge. He had an engineering background, you know, so he was the right guy. EG, on the other hand, if you're looking to move five billion five year notes in three minutes, you know, he's like the Lewis Hamilton of five year notes, right? Okay. So, so the reason this thing I read about going to Russia resonated with me is because Robbie and I went to Russia. Yep, and yeah. it's probably a little hard for people of your generation to understand. But my generation grew up routinely, you would have duck and cover grill drills where you would get under your desk and prepare for a nuclear missile to hit. Like yeah. that was gonna do something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The desk. Get under the desk. Yeah. 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 And and what's under the desk? Nothing but chewing gum, right? <laughs> so, Jeez. Were you allowed to chew gum in Catholic school? Absolutely not. No, yeah. No, Put it behind your ear till recess. No chance. So we grew up with this fear of of the Russians. Yeah. And up. and um, later in life, that uh, great philosopher. Uh, Anthony Peters, whose newsletter I've asked our webmistress to post to this week's website, um, he explained something that I had learned but never really elaborated on. Americans think people in other countries are Americans but speak a different language. Mm -hmm. No, they're not Americans and they don't speak English. They're, they're different people, right? Oh. So Robbie and I are on this flight, not Aeroflot, but some American airline, and we're going to Russia, and we got our passport, and they're handing out a form, and basically the form says, do you have more than $500 in foreign currency? And I'm looking at Robbie, and I know whatever the number is. Yes. I never walked around with less than a thousand bucks, right? Yeah. And and I forget exactly how it played out. But we that was an anxious moment for us. We sure. didn't know what the fuck what to fucking do, right? Yeah. And, and of course, what month do you go? February, right? Nice. Yeah. If if you haven't been to Moscow in February, you haven't lived. It's like Houston in July. Right. It's just like yeah, okay. the tundra. <laughs> so we go through the line and you give them the passport and you come out. We didn't have any trouble getting in, but it's like one of these um, movies 
I forget the word I'm looking for, but it's it's kind of like a science fiction movie. It just yeah. sort of seems for real, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we uh, get our bag and we go looking for the guy to drive us to the city from the airport because the airport's outside the city. And there's no guy with a sign with our name on it. It's just a bunch of guys yeah. in dark coats, and yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know how we, how we found our way, but we get to the hotel, and I'm staying, we're staying in, in this is, this is before Russia collapsed. So what are we talking about? 1995, 1996, something like yeah. this, and because I've been traveling to London back and forth. I had one of these things, they were called the GSM phone. This was before the the US was on the, that kind of network. Yeah. And so I could call anywhere in the world um, from anywhere except in the United States, yep. which makes sense right here. So I don't really know who we're going to see, what we're going to do, but this guy with no identification whatsoever, we find them and we get in this car, we find the bags and we, we get to the hotel and it's, I don't, it's whatever it was. It, it wasn't a Four Seasons or this or that, but it was literally the nicest hotel in Russia. And I remember two things about it. One was I had every piece of clothing I owned on and I'm in my hotel room. Okay. Secondly, I'm talking to Cheryl on this GSM phone and I can feel like this tingling in the side of my head. And I'm thinking, you know, if anything goes wrong in your life later in life, it's because of this, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I was later to find out that that was the same hotel where it was claimed that uh, former President Trump had a, a prostitute urinate on him amazing i i i didn't see that on the spa menu i i wouldn't have opted for it i i have a policy about you know right but um uh and then um we had a guy in the morning pick us up who um and uh robbie will listen to this show at one point and he will be able to confirm or deny us but i i pretty much remember the guy missing one finger you know and it wasn't like it got knocked off in a cotton gin like it was sort of like a john wick prove your fealty sort of thing yeah yeah the other thing i thought was pretty cool was we were driving around an suv and you know how the guys who are the um auxiliary firemen like when they get a call they put a light on top of their car and so, so this guy driving us around had like a blue light and he put it on top of the car. And as we drove, the traffic just fucking parted. Nice. Like, yeah. like Moses in the yeah, sea. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and, and so we would go from meeting to meeting and there was, you know, it'd be like 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, they'd offer you something to drink. There'd be like a bottle of spring water. Yeah. But you could see pieces of shit floating in the water. I'm like, I, you know, I'm good. Yeah. Right? yeah. And and so we had these meetings with these government officials. And um, what Robbie and I figured out 
was these treasury bills paid a very high rate of return. So uh, let's say the treasury bill return was 18%. Yep. You could buy that bill at 18%. You could take it to a Russian bank and they would loan you money at 12%. So you were earning 6% taking Russian bonds and giving them to a Russian bank. Now, the reason is because now the Russian bank has Greenwich Capital is their risk, not. And we can get into discussions about rights of collateral and ownership and stuff like that. But there were tons of Americans over there doing this, making a, a fortune. Yep, yep. But, but Robbie quickly figured out that, you know, this musical chairs couldn't go out forever. So we were trying to figure out the money coming into the government, the money going out of the country to Cyprus. Yep. Then the money would come back from Cyprus, but there'd be less Mm -hmm. carrying charges, carrying charges. And so we were trying to figure out, you know, how long can this go on for? Huge pressure uh, to um, to invest in Russia. But I'm looking at this thing. Rob and I are looking at it. And you know the way Greenwich Capital works. You know, you, you eat what you kill. So if we lose money, it's out of our pocket, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. But yet, I'm getting yelled at. You got to be more like John Merriweather here. So anyway, Robbie and I go out and buy $5 million worth of these bills, and we do the whole thing. And... You know, I, I don't know, eight weeks later, you know, four months later, the whole fucking thing blows up. And I, I don't think we lost five million. I think we lost like four point nine, you know, or whatever it was. But yeah, um, it, it was as close to the Wild West as I'd ever been, because you just had these guys running around mm-hmm. with these cars with the blue lights yeah, yeah. There are nightclubs everywhere with like the velvet ropes. And, you know, Robbie and I are both simple guys from the Midwest. So we kind of stuck to our knitting. Um, But I I just remember the the feeling of illegitimacy, dishonesty. And uh, um, the the one thing I just kind of funny, I thought kind of funny. so when your kid's a little older, you'll take them to Washington, D.C. and give them a tour. And one of the things we did when we took our kids was we took a tour of the FBI. Which that Langley? Really, that Langley? No, no, that's CIA. Uh-huh. FBI, like like the J. Edgar Hoover building. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And they, you know, they do a nice, okay. But as we're driving one day through downtown Moscow, there's this really unusual looking building. And I said to the driver, I said, what's that? And he didn't really want to talk about it. And finally, he said, that's KGB. Except it's not called the KGB. I I I forget. It'll come to me. But (laughs) I said to the guy, can we take a tour? And he's looking at me like I got three heads, which is the right thing, by the way. Right. Good answer. So we we finally explained to him 
like we're explaining to the guy with a finger missing how yeah. people take tours. So he kind of says, by all means. And we walk up to the building and the the glass is such that you can't see in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not only can you not see in, there's no handle to open the door. Yeah. Like somebody has to open. Okay. So anyway, off we go. And, um, Yikes. and then, you know, several months later, I'm lying in bed with Cheryl in Washington, watching Stuart Barney, Russia goes bankrupt. And I said, pack up the car. We're rich. And, uh, and the rest is history. There were some other, uh, interesting, uh, things that happened, but I'll probably, um, save that for a later broadcast. I, I don't want to, you know, talk too much about Russia, but it developed a definite attitude about how the government works anyway. And um, I, I think that uh, that was an interesting experience for me. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Late 90s Russia. Yikes. Yeah, but I, the cold there, like, I, it's, it's, I don't even know how to explain it. I've been to Regina, where, where my uh, oldest daughter lives. That's Saskatchewan? Yeah. Is that Saskatchewan? Yeah. Yeah. Saskatchewan. That makes Moscow I'm sure. look like St. Bart's. What's the best what's the best summer vacation you ever took the kids on? Where's the best? Where would you go? That's where easy. Go? Lost Creek Ranch, Jackson, Wyoming. Wow. Wow. Easy, easy. Because the kids were young. They had the Grand Tetons. They had horseback riding. You know, you sat on. It was like the kind of the dude ranch thing. They nice. had, you know, you could go horseback riding with the kids in the morning, in the afternoon, you know, the you could lie around and have a beer. They had the people watching the kids. Wow. Um, and the viewer. Is that, country? is that real country? Is this Jackson? Jackson's supposed to be. Yeah. Oh, it's, okay. oh, oh you can die there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. In fact, um, I think EG tried to kill me there by taking me. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> So now you're a good snowboarder, okay? Yes. I'm I'm a dilettante, right? Poser. You you you're being generous, okay? Yeah. I I can get down the mountain, okay? But there's a sign. So there's there's two interesting things about Jackson Hole as a skier snowboarder. One is you take the tram oh. all the way to the fucking top. I know. Which by the way one of like you talk about getting pumped up yeah like you are on this tram and they're cranking the fucking who yeah like and wow. everyone's you can just feel the testosterone yeah. Yeah. right yeah and you get off and you get hit with this and then you come down and and, and everything at jackson is a black or double black now even the green yeah. like kate got ahead of me once coming down on a green, which was a black, yep. it's like, I can't believe this is fucking happening to me. My my ten year old daughter, I can't keep up with. Right? <laughs> so Easy's like, Doc, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. So we we go up, we go up to the top of the tram, and as we come out, sort of to the side of the mountain, as you're facing the mountain to the left, there's this area they call the hobacks. Okay, which is uh, for us European listeners, we would call off-piste. Mm -hmm. And 
to go off piece, you have to take a guide because if you don't, you you just might as well you're dead. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right? So you get to a gate, and the gate says, "This is your decision point." Yeah, you know, yeah. Kind of, turn, yep. So, so E.G. drags me down through that, and anyway, I made I made it out alive. Alive. One of our uh, partners at the time had. He's a very good skier, but he had a little anxiety with height. Yeah. And that that and and he had a fucking yard sale. Dude, that, tram, that tram is gnarly. Okay. Is it is it that tram is really gnarly? Um, and at least you're in the tram. Like when you go up to the top of Breckenridge, Breckenridge, you go up to like eleven thousand or something, and you're in a chair. Dude, I I, oh. I was not I did not enjoy that. I, I get the pit in my stomach just thinking about it. Um yeah, dude, that's an that's that's the adrenaline rush, yeah. and there's nothing worse than EG saying you'll be fine. You'll be come on because because he's right. I know he's he's, he's right, and yep. and you know there's certain guys you trust them. <laughs> I I I like you. If you said it'll be fine, I I believe you. Yeah. Uh, un, unlike the time I went mountain biking in Lake Tahoe with our three friends, where we had the day before we had done a race up yeah. in um california mount baldy or something mount baldy. And, yep, yep. okay so that's where you know i had my great conversation with bob roll and anyway so i'm exhausted from this one hour uphill time trial and they take me mountain biking now this was pre like leadville wasn't even a twinkle in my eye right let me, let me let me time frame it because I've I, I watched it unfold on Facebook. That's how long ago it was. Okay. <laughs> this was how long ago. It was on Facebook. Like you might have had a profile and we were and like it, it was all fun until go ahead. You what you what were you doing? You were gonna the Well, so we start at the base of this climb. It's like a four thousand foot climb on a mountain bike. I've been on a mountain bike like twice in my life, and every time we get to a turn in the road. I'd be like, how much further? Hey, and one up. of the guy, one of the guys would say, Oh, it's just the next bend. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So you get to the next bend. And I'm like, <laughs> we're not at the top. And the same guy, you know who it was. He said, Oh, it's just a little bit further. <laughs> and so finally, now I'm getting mad. Oh. And we are actually very close to the yeah. top. And I'm losing my shit because I'm tired. We're now at altitude. I've been climbing for four hours. For the, for and... the listeners, for the listeners, this is a palpable tension. Okay, you can feel this. If he's behind you, you can sense it. If you're behind him, you can sense it. Okay, there's just a palpable, uncomfortable, seething rage. It's like this is not what I wanted to do. This is the total definition of what I did not want to do, and here I am doing it, and I'm being told to do more. So. Post mountain bike toss by old chestnut. I did literally pick up a mountain bike and throw it. <laughs> My friend Mike said, it's another 500 yards of we're at the top. And I said, listen, I like you. I respect you. But if you're lying to me, I'm going to fucking kill you. Now, this guy is chairman of the board of a fortune 500 company and i'm seething it's like i saw fucking red right the nicest guy in the world 
the nicest guy in the world. I've lost my mind. I've lost my mind. Long story short, or short story long, he was right. And it's that flume trail yes. that is spectacular. But just, just the, uh, I, the I, there's a better phrase. I won't use it because this is PG-13. But the icing on the cake is after we descend through sand and I survive, I find out you can hire someone to drive you and you can just Shuttle ride up. down. Shuttle up. So, so uh, how did we get here? Uh, I don't Russia? Know. Something fantastic, nothing makes me happier and laugh harder than you being like irate on the bike because it just makes me dude it makes me imagine what you were like like that's fun in games bicycle that's that's yeah. the playroom what was work like like dude that's that's like playtime oh, yeah, dude did you have trouble how did you manage that dude because you've got a temper oh i broke dozens of phones I, br I broke at least 10 computer monitors, like the handset. Yeah. You know what? I can tell you, you know, like Spider-Man, like a spider web. Yes. That's just save you, save you two grand. Trust me. If you pick up a phone, like a handset and you hit your fucking computer as hard as you possibly can, it will look like a spider web. And <laughs> these people, these people get so attuned to me breaking shit it was like a formula one pit stop except the phones are like 10 grand I know. I know. I'd, I'd smash the thing keys would go flying everywhere it was just it was just fucking ugly and then what you but go the, shop then you go walk and shop on greenwich Ave for an hour and come i i, I don't like know I, I, yeah pretty much you're an you act know. like it didn't happen guy <laughs> No, I I knew it. Everyone knew it happened, and okay. you know, and 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 the appropriate guy would be able to make appropriate fun of me. Leslie. But it wasn't just anybody. Like a like an intern couldn't come up and go, <laughs> you know, no, no, no. What about my phone, you know, MB? <laughs> one of one of my partners could say, uh, you know, boy, you got that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I got all of that one. You think? Give me one thing that give me one thing that would smash the phone. Like, what would make you so mad during the day that you bash a phone? So there would be a protocol. So this is before you would type in the buy and sells. Everything would be through a voice broker, mm -hmm. and so there would be a protocol. So if you were the bidder, and an offer came in. Before anybody could buy the offer, you had right of first refusal. Yep. But you didn't have it forever. You had it for like three seconds. Mm -hmm. Okay. And depending where you were in the pecking order, like if you were the bidder at a tiny shop and the and the a, a buyer from a huge shop wanted the offer, like they'd go around you. That kind of thing, right? Wow. So it was a little bit of of sharp elbows so if ever somebody started to go around me that's where i would lose my mind because everything we did was balanced so yep. for instance let's say there was a huge bid in the five-year pit i'd sell 500 futures i'd need to buy five, 50 million five-year notes i'd be the bidder and offered come in and i go okay buy them and he goes oh they traded up i mean 
they, I'm the bid. And I go, I'm, I, I don't want to scream because it'll blow yeah, yeah, up, but it would be the words in plain English would be, listen, motherfucker, I'm the bid. Those are mine. And that's politely. And it's yep. not how it came out. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's what would that's what would set me off, because from time to time, you know, Solomon would want to buy them and they were bigger than Greenwich. And, you know, so they would get special treatment. And and so if it was Dylan Reed, I would get special treatment versus Dylan Reed. And, and yeah. but, you know, it all operated under this cloak of it's a little secret, but it's a little fair, but not really. And so it yeah. was kind of a weird situation. But yeah, I I had a um I had a pretty quick fuse for that. Um but uh I think for the most part, uh, when the shit was on, like we had a problem. Um, I don't really honestly remember. I think E.G. or Robbie would be yeah, better to yeah. tell you. But I do think I, I I did keep my cool pretty pretty well just because I felt like I was in a situation, not that I could control but that I could manage. manage way and so it. what would happen would be, and this is why uh, EG was the best partner, really. And my partner before him was equally good this way, but he was older. We didn't have the same relationship. So if I had a trader who had a book and the book went to shit, okay, I'd take the book away from the trader. I'd grab EG he and I'd go in the conference room. We'd put it up on the blackboard. We'd, we'd re-underwrite it, meaning we'd redo the analysis. And if we liked it, we kept it. Yeah, wow. Which is most of the time. Yep. And if we didn't like it, we'd, we'd punch it out. Um, but that was sort of, you know how I talked about when I got into a complex instrument, Robbie would be, the guy. So when it got to be like market dynamics, having to move big positions, you know, EG was very, very talented. And and this is not to minimize anyone else within the group, far from it. Everybody who worked with us had a overall excellent set of skills. So with the exception of me, Anyone could probably do anyone else's job, but everybody had one area of expertise. And I think for me, if I can claim I added any value, I was able to aggregate these people and persuade them that it was in everyone's best interest to work as a collective. Of course, I did that because collectively it was in my best interest, but <laughs> it's Wall yeah. Street. Yeah, it worked out. It's not for show friends. It's show business. But um, I don't know. I don't know. Was that entertaining at all? 
dude, I love all that stuff. Um, I just always, I, I always think about like if this is what he's like, if he's gonna lose his mind on the bike like this, those phones must be in danger when there was hundreds of millions of dollars riding. Because oh, you know, yeah. I, I can see. I'm glad that you highlighted that. Like, yeah, and you, you're like, yeah, I smashed the phones, but. It wasn't you weren't a, a phone smash. You're not a phone smasher like that was your regular thing, though. You know, you were still a manager and a team leader. But at that point, when when I was the line guy, like in my 20s, no, I I was a fucking phone smasher. Just nice. Because yeah. because to be fair, you imitate what you see. And back then, there was no button to hang up the phone there would be 120 keys each key would go to another direct right so if you had the merrill lynch key stuck down and you were done talking to the guy merrill you take the handset and you just gently click that row of 120 keys and it would release and now your your phone is hung up so this this little act of tapping the phone was part of the part of the the regular running of the business so as an adult you can see how you know your day's not going so well and you just got off the phone you're frustrated and you hit it and you hit it a little harder and then finally you know it's just like yeah enough of that right um yeah i'll tell you something i i don't know what it is but the last few weeks the last month or two i've really for the first time in a long time, missed trading. And I think the reason is this. Um, and I'll try and explain it. How, how do I go about it? So my cocktail party bullshit kind of, right? Okay, well, you know, you live in Greenwich, you live in London, you go to these cocktail parties, there's always some guy talking about how he made, you know, he's making a killing, he's a traitor. And what bothers me the most about this is I have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. Like, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a lawyer, I'm a trader, right? And somehow, in the grand scheme of things, society doesn't value the trader like they value the lawyer or the doctor. And, and, and I would guess I can understand that. I, I would claim in some cases, myself included, that this is a real profession, right? Which is why the cocktail party bullshit bugs me. Mm-hmm. And what bugs me is guys will have a job. I'm thinking of one guy in particular. He's got a, company makes a bunch of money whenever i see him he's always tells me how he bought this stock and i made a lot of money and and i'm i'm nice about it but this is this is what it means to be a trader okay you you come out of school you have no money you have a job you get a salary which is enough to allow you to sleep on the floor in an apartment in manhattan and you can have a slice of pizza for dinner every night because back then a dollar got you a slice and a can of soda, right? And at the end of the year, if you didn't make any money, you didn't get any money. 
right? So it was another year of sleeping on the floor. Okay. Take it a step further. When you got up a little bit of money, okay, now because it's you're getting paid a cut, right? Yep. But you don't get paid a cut till the year's old. So, you know, you January you make a little bit, February, March, the, the pile starts to grow. Then something comes out of the blue, and you just saw, you know, four hundred thousand dollars that you were planning on getting paid go to zero. Amazing. And you have no money in the bank, right? And you're waiting on this one bonus. And, you know, the cycle continues. And by the way, it's what you sign up for, right? I mean, that's if if you don't sign up for that, you're in the wrong business, yeah. right? Pick something else. But when I have to listen to these people talk about how, you know, they did this with this stock or that stock, I'm like, you know, that's fine. But you don't you don't know what I'm talking about. It, it's it's one of the things I'm most proud of in my life was that I was able to go and learn how to sit with a pad of paper, a pencil, an HP-12C like I have gifted you, and a Bloomberg, and take money out of the market with with regularity you know where where can you do that it it, it to me it's just this it's like a, a, i don't know how to describe it but the just that feeling of ultimate freedom because once you can make money on your own regularly the market is now your boss you can literally X inappropriate behavior like our friend Crispin Odley has been accused of. Right. But you can walk around all day, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, it doesn't matter as long as you're putting the numbers up. And I'll tell you something, it's an awesome feeling. It's, it's, it's the most amazing thing in the world. And I'm not saying they can't fire you, but if you're profitable, you are not out of work for two hours. I know. Right. And um, there's very few opportunities in life that people ever have to have that ultimate kind of freedom. And um, I look on that and I always, that's one of the few things I always understood and felt excited about now it it takes its pound of flesh as i've told you there were any number of days like we it was going so bad like i had to literally roll out of bed like just the stress cheryl will routinely tell people how the phone will ring at two in the morning i'll have a conversation with somebody I'll tell them to do something. I'll go back to bed and I'll have no recollection of that phone call whatsoever. Yeah. Um, again, what I what I signed up for. Would I do it all over again? Yeah, in a heartbeat. Except I think the couple of times I owned all those calls that I sold like 200 basis points too soon. 
That's what I might have tried to hang on. And all I had to do was listen to Leslie. The whole time, Leslie's just sitting there going, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, That's one of those things about trading which makes it so fascinating, which is I believe my major breakthroughs came when I realized it wasn't the trade. It was either the psychology or the behavior. Like, so the trade where I had all these calls and it, it started to go, I was so drunk with the success and the money coming in that I didn't, Remember how I just told you, like, if a tray went bad, EG and I would go and re-underwrite it? Mm -hmm. Never once have I done that with a winner. <laughs> now, that's obtuse. Wow. And if, and that's if why... Broke, if it ain't broke, is there an if, is there an if it ain't broke aspect to it? Well, there, there is. I will tell you the difference in... in I, Cheryl Hitler for saying this. The reason I never earned a billion dollars personally was two things. One was the experience growing up, which I will share with you at a later date. But the second thing was when we got, when I got a lead on something, or we got a lead on something, you know, that number, you know, you hit that. They call that, it's like an indifference point. It's like, are you willing to take one more dollar of profit mm -hmm. or and risk a dollar of loss? Or is the risk of the dollar loss too stressful and you, you, you were willing to give away the upside of the extra dollar? Now, as a manager, I always tried to get guys to an inflection point because otherwise you're underutilizing your resources. Don't give resources to a guy that's going to make 2X when the next guy can make 5X, mm -hmm. right? So for me, my indifference point was to this day below where I was optimal, okay? And now that I'm retired, I don't even really consider myself a trader anymore because for our Canadian listeners, my job here is just flip the puck down to the other end of the ice and enjoy my life, tell a few jokes, have a couple of, you know, drinks with my friends. So I'll, I will never know the limit to what I could have gotten. And, and we all make choices in life. But the difference between me and some of these other guys is they don't have a number and um they're just different and you know like most things i blame my parents because they're not here to defend themselves mm -hmm. but uh if if you're interested next week week after i i can explain to you why i ended up the way i did and i think it will be clear but um you know i i just that's one of those things that looking back now that I never really thought about was re-underwriting profits. Losses was pretty straightforward. You had to do something. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're up money, 
everyone assumes, hey, you're up money. You never go broke taking a profit. Yeah, but, 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 but. Well, you know, so anyway. But that's just a good example right there of like you said, Cheryl, kill me for, for saying this. Dude, you started the show talking about how she impacted everything. Dude, she impacts, and I don't want to, I mean, I'll, I'll, she impacts all your decisions. Like, there's, there's cert, sure, there's certain decisions in between whatever market hours that Cheryl doesn't play, but she plays a role in all your decision making. Where, like, if, if she wasn't your partner side by side and you didn't think twice about some of these things, there's like the list is eternal of her playing a role and shaping you and the way you operate. So yeah. like, it's impossible to, to separate them, you know, like yeah. still to this, just sitting here on 4th of July in 23 in the back of your mind, you, she's there, you know, she's like, she'll, she'll, I don't want to say this, or I want to say this, dude, you, no. did, you did a great job in the beginning of you do any listener of the show. There's people that have listened to every single show knows how important her role in you and your life and your trading. And you, you don't need to write the book. They've listened to it. You know, they know they could, you haven't directly said it, but by osmosis and listening to the show, they understand oh, that. Thank um, you. No. Thank and it's you. been awesome. It's been, it, dude, and it's a good thing because I don't think she was very keen on you doing this little venture here with me. <laughs> you're going to well, do, you're going to do what with who? <laughs> I'm going to hit the brakes. It's going to fly right on by. No, I, I think, I think a, a number of things. One is, she has a financial background. So it was somebody who I could talk to in general terms, which is helpful. But the most important thing was just, she believes in me yeah. and, you know, I mean, maybe some guys would view that as a sign of weakness. I, maybe it is. I don't care. It's just, I, I had somebody in my corner that I knew was behind me 110%. And, in a lot of ways, trading the market, it, it less than it used to be because it's more mechanical now, but it did feel a little bit of a battle. And, um, you know, to come home at night and have someone that, you know, cares about you and, and wants to hear about, you know, did you have a good day? Did you have a bad day? Why was it a good day? Why was it a bad day? And, um, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I just think for me with my, you know, um, issues, whatever you want to call them, uh, that was, it wouldn't have happened without her. And that's why when I talk about the book thing, like the guy missed that, the guy missed that. And I can talk about all day how, when I saw, Paul Newbold explained how calculus works, how it crystallized in my mind, and I could see, you know, unique shapes and rates of change and all that. You know, and, and to that guy, that would sell books. But, you know, the part about, you know, I went to bed, we lost our whole year overnight in JGBs. I'm having trouble getting out of bed, and she's there, like, just get going. Yeah. You got it. And, and you know, let's anyway. Dude, you managed to keep your nose clean through a dark time on, uh, you know, you never, you never 
dude, having that stable wife from a young age at 20 in Manhattan, everyone knows what went on on Wall Street in the late 80s and 90s. And you did. You yeah. avoided all of that wholeheartedly. Um, And I, I mean, I won't yeah. blame you on show, but I would say that that probably played a pretty critical role in you keeping your nightlife to a minimum and your nose to the grind um, rather than, you know, elsewhere. Well, it's it's certainly we had an event. I won't be too specific, but I had mentioned to you um oddly enough i used to gamble quite a lot and um uh i had a bad weekend and i i i i treated her poorly and i i snapped too and realized you know what are you doing mm. what, what what's what the fuck is with you mm -hmm. and um wow that you know so mm -hmm. yeah anyway all right. All right. Yeah. Happy 4th there of July, go. pal. I'm going to go have six yeah. Budweiser, shoot some fireworks. Um, <laughs> Do they, I hear tell they make low carb beer. Stop it. Is that true? No, I'm serious. Yes. It's called Mick Ultra, dude. It's like the number one sponsor of the Tour de France. It's it's bizarre. If you watch La Tour, which you should do, right. I on haven't. Every, yeah. every commercial is for Michelob Ultra. It's rice water beer. It's disgusting, dude. You, I wouldn't drink it. Gun to my head, dying in the desert. I wouldn't touch it. Um, yeah. So there's I, no... No, no, there's no no good low carb beer. No, no, you're not having any low carb beer. You're not having a beer. Why don't you have a Margalisa and take a nap? You can have one tequila drink and just you know be careful with the bottle rockets and you'll be fine. You know. I don't want to blow any more fingers off. <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> have All a right, great week. Well, I'll see you soon. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye. <laughs>